Welcome to the Think Podcast, the show that helps you lead your family in defending the Christian message. It's the Think Pod 12 Days of Christmas, 12 current cultural challenges answered with timeless biblical truth by me and some of my friends. For more content like this, be sure to follow all our guest hosts and join the Think Squad group on Facebook, Gab, and Signal. So Merry Christmas from the Think Institute and Happy 2022. Hey, Merry Christmas, everyone. My name is Parker Sedicase. I'm the host of the Parker's Pensies podcast. And in this installment of the 12 Days of Christmas, I'm going to be talking about the problem of evil or the problems of evil. Problems of evil because the problem of evil, why is there evil if God is so good and all-powerful and all-knowing? That problem arises for us based uh, on our own unique theologies. So an Arminian might have a different problem of evil than a Calvinist. Uh, Someone who thinks that God could allow purposeless evil is going to have a different uh, understanding of evil and the problem than someone who says, no, there is no such thing as purposeless, meaningless evil. So that's what we're talking about in this installment. First, let let me just lay out the problem of evil. I'm sure many of us are already familiar with this, but it goes something like this. God is all good. He is holy and truly good. Okay, cool. God knows everything, and God is all-powerful. Some people, some philosophers call this uh, an omnicompetent God. God is all-competent. He can do whatever he wants to do. Now, atheists have, uh, and skeptics and all sorts of people throughout history have brought up this problem. Okay, so God is all-good, all-knowing, and uh, all-powerful. If that's the case, why is there evil? I mean, if he's all good, he would want to stop any instance of evil, right? Okay, yeah. If he knows everything, he'd know about, there'd be no evil that he didn't know about. No corner of the universe where evil can hide. He knows everything. Okay, yeah, that's true. And he's all powerful. So if he's all good, he'd want to stop all evil. If he's all knowing, he could, he'd know about all evil and know how to stop all evil. And if he's all powerful, he could stop all evil. So whence comes evil? Why is there evil if this kind of God exists? So a lot of people have used this to say, look, there is evil. Therefore, this God, it's all omnicompetent, does not exist. Because there's evil, there is no God. Now, what some Christian philosophers have pointed out is there's a missing premise here. Like We would want to add another one. As a Christian, we'd say there's a fourth premise in here that's that you've overlooked. That is that God has a morally sufficient reason for allowing the evil that exists. So, yeah, God knows about every instance of evil. God hates evil, and God would want to stop evil if there were not a morally sufficient reason for allowing that evil. Now, you might be thinking, what possible reason could this God have for allowing instances of evil? Evil is against his nature. He's good. What the heck? What's going on here? And so, I want to give us uh, a conceptual tool to help us think through this problem as it arises for us, and that is to think of God and his relation to the world as an author and his or her relation to their novel. So God is the author of reality. Reality is his book. God relates to the world like an author relates to his or her book. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be helpful here in a minute. So um, God is all good. God knows everything. And God is all-powerful, and yet there's evil. So God has this morally sufficient reason for allowing evil. That's nice. Great, Parker. Thank you. What is the reason? 
What is it? What's the reason that he has for allowing this evil? And here's where the analogy helps us. In this author authorial analogy, the author analogy, in the in the idea that God is the author of reality, what are we? Well, we're characters. I'm a character within the story. And so a lot of times what we do when we experience evil as characters in the story is we elevate ourselves to the position of the author. And we say, there is no possible way that the author could use this evil in my life to bring about a greater good. There is no possible way. What the heck? And what we're doing there is we're elevating ourselves to the position of the author. And in this analogy, that's the position of God. So we're taking this instance of evil that we're experiencing and saying, because of this, God could have no purpose for it. There is no way. There's no possible way that I can see. Well, yeah, but we're not the author. We don't know the story. This isn't our story. Um, you've probably heard the, the popular cliche that history is his story, right? It's a little bit cringe, but it's not so bad. It's, it's true. History is his story, not our story. So I want to use, uh, an, uh, some, some biblical phenomena, some, uh, verses here that, that help us think through God as the author and us as characters and put evil in its proper place and our understanding of evil in its proper place. So I want to go to Genesis 50 and we're going to start at 15 and we're going to go all the way through 21. So, uh, let me give a little bit of context here. Joseph, uh, was beaten by his brothers, thrown into a ditch, sold into slavery, wrongfully accused of sexual crimes against his owner's wife, uh, thrown back into jail, uh, and then eventually ascended to the right hand of Pharaoh, which was awesome. Then he ended up saving his brothers and his father's lives uh, when a famine came, seven years of famine. God spoke to him the whole time. God elevated him to various positions, and he was with him. So here, uh, Joseph's brothers, they are nervous because they think maybe Joseph just forgave them and saved them uh, on account of their father. Just just because, you know, Pops was around, he's looking out for us. But as soon as dad dies, Joseph's going to exact his vengeance and it's going to be terrible for us. So they come and they're pleading with Joseph. And it seems like they might be lying about their father's last wishes, but I don't know. You, you tell me. Let's see. So verse for, uh, 50, 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when he, when they spoke this to him, his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear for him. I in the place of God, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Genesis 50, 20 right there is what I want to, I want to focus in on. <clears throat> As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So here we see there's, there's genuine evil. Uh, we're not glossing over the evil of the brothers. They acted in evil malice intent. Like they were wrong. And yet God meant it for good. God intended it for good the whole time. 
So Joseph could have easily said at any point in his journey, what the heck, how could God allow, how could God bring good out of my brothers beating me, ripping up my coat, you know, lying to my father, selling me into slavery? There's, there is no God because no good, all powerful, all knowing, all good God, no God would allow this to happen. So therefore there is no God. Now, what he would be doing there is elevating himself to the position of the author who knows the full story, but he's just a character and he doesn't do that. He doesn't put himself in the position of God to judge as God, nor to judge the situation as only God can. He's recognizing his station as a character. And at the end of his life here, or at the end of his father's life, when Joseph is mature, when he's elevated to the second in command of all of Egypt, he can see from this vantage point, oh, look at what, look, God had been superintending this whole time. God's intentions were good this whole time, even though he allowed the evil of the characters in the plot, even though he allowed them to act evilly, I see God's good hand through it all. Now, this does not excuse the evil at all. We don't call the brothers' actions good. They were evil. We can say that God allowing it to happen and God superintending it to happen and God being in control of the plot the whole time is good. But we don't ever excuse evil. No way. That That's wicked. That's wrong. That's an evil thing to do in itself. So, God has a morally sufficient reason for the evil that he allowed Joseph to experience. What was that reason? Well, there's a bunch of reasons here in the story. That namely, what Joseph sees is that he's able to keep all these people alive because through uh, his fall and his rise, his ascension to the right hand of Pharaoh, he's able to tell Pharaoh about the seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine coming. God speaks through Joseph through Joseph and helps him interpret dreams in order to save many people's lives, including his father's life and including the brothers who acted evilly against him. So God had a good purpose the whole time, even though at any point in the story, Joseph could have said, look, I don't see it. Well, yeah, you don't see it. You're a character within the story. You don't have a God's eye view of the whole narrative as it's unfolding. You don't see what God's doing in your heart. Joseph. Well, God's making you into a man of God, someone who can forgive such an egregious sin, sins committed by his own brothers, his own family, his own flesh and blood. God created him, God created in Joseph a heart of forgiveness. God showed the brothers mercy through Joseph. Like without these evil actions, all these goods aren't able to uh, be seen, aren't able to be done. So without excusing the evil, we can still say, look at God's good hand superintending these things. Now, of course, we have the best example in the cross. In the cross, we find uh, the only sinless human ever, Jesus Christ. Truly God, truly man. The God-man was crucified, wrongfully accused, and butchered on a cross. That is the worst evil ever. There's some really, really grotesque, horrible things that happen in the world. But nothing's worse than the God-man being killed. God sent his own son here to save us, and we killed him. We crucified him. God took the worst evil ever. And the disciples, if we were there at that time of the crucifixion, we would rightly say, look, what's going on here? How could this happen? Even if you didn't think that he was the God-man, 
this this man that you knew, perfect, awesome guy, you would have never seen him sin, and he was crucified. You could say, hey, look, there is no God, because if there were a God, then yeah, angels would come down here and save this man off the cross, save this man Jesus. But he didn't. And you would be woefully wrong, and you'd be proven wrong the next couple of days when he rose from the from the grave and brought redemption to anyone who trusts in him. So God used this greatest instance of evil ever in history to bring about the greatest good, salvation for anyone who trusts in his name. Anyone who repents of their sins and puts their faith in Jesus Christ can be saved, can become a child of God, can be reconciled with their creator. The worst evil ever in human history used for the greatest good. And so with this, I want to leave us with uh, three different things, three different big takeaways. The first one is that God, uh, this is a, a truth to remember, this truth. God used the worst evil to bring about the greatest good. Now, we don't excuse Pontius Pilate or Judas or the soldiers who, cru who crucified Christ. They wanted to do that. They had evil intentions like the brothers, like Joseph's brothers did. So we don't excuse that evil. And yet we praise God for his mercy and grace uh, extended to us from the cross. Here's the truth to remember. God used the worst evil in the world to bring about the greatest good. If God can do it with the worst evil, he can do it with the evil that I experience. He can do it with the evil that you experience. So none of us can say, there is no reason, there is no possible reason, no possible way that a good, loving, all-knowing God could allow this evil in my life. Maybe you're going through something that's truly horrendous and awful, but the God who used the worst evil in the world to bring about the greatest good can use that evil in your life. So that's a truth to remember. Now, here's an attitude to emulate, the attitude of Joseph. Joseph, he didn't put himself in the place of God. He didn't call down wrath and uh, fire from, from heaven on his brothers. He recognized their evil and said, look, you did mean evil against me. But he also recognized God's hand in his life and said, God meant it for good. He recognized it. He, he was looking for it and he found it. Look at what God's been doing in my life in spite of your evil intentions. And so Joseph continued to trust in God and his trust was bolstered. He had a stronger faith because of that. Now, that's an attitude to emulate. I want to be like that. I don't want to freak out every time an instance of evil happens to me. I want to be rightly, I want to rightly condemn evil. Yes, I do. Of course I do. But I want to be like Joseph and I want my, my faith in God to increase. I've seen him work in my life. I've seen him use evil for greater goods. I don't know all the goods because, again, I'm a character in the story. I can't point to every single reason that God has for allowing this evil and that evil. I know ultimately it's for his glory. But I don't know every single thing, and I don't have a balance where I can, uh, I don't have a scale where I can show, look at how this one outweighs that one. But we can look at my nephew, Lucas, who anyone watching this will know, uh, Lucas had leukemia. Lucas broke his leg. Lucas needed a heart transplant. Lucas had this and that and this and that go wrong with him. And yet God used that to bring about renewed relationship with all these people praying for him. Tons and tons and tons of people turned to God in prayer, asking for him to deliver Lucas. And he has again and again and again, even to the brink of death where Lucas' heart stopped. 
Like, what, God, what the heck? What's going on? My brother was a pastor through most of this. He's serving you. What the heck? No, we're, we're not going to put ourselves in the place of God. We're going to trust him because we've seen him do it before. We've seen him do it with the worst evil ever, Christ crucified. We've seen him bring about a greater good. And we've seen it in Lucas's life again and again and again. So there's an attitude to emulate. Be like Joseph. Trust in God. And then a promise to hold on to, and this is from Romans 8.28, that God works all things for the good of those who love him, for those he has called. And what's that good? It's not that we all get Lamborghinis. It's not that none of us taste evil ever. It's that we'll look like Christ, that we'll be molded into his image, that the Holy Spirit will be working in our hearts to make us look and act and be like Christ, like God, to be God-like in the face of evil to be steadfast, to be the anchor in our family. When evil happens, when someone dies, when someone's murdered, when all, whatever type of evil happens to you, we do not excuse it. But we face it as Christians knowing that God is in control. He is the author of the story and he hasn't written in this evil for no reason. That this this evil didn't just happen and he didn't see it. No, he allowed it for a reason. I don't, I can't name every single reason. I can say the ultimate reason is to glorify him and to help us look more like Christ. And when we see evil in that light, we do not excuse it, but we don't let it break us. It does, it's not overwhelming because we know the one who's in control. We know the one who's allowing us to go through this. We know that he's done it with the worst evil. We have examples to emulate like Joseph. <clears throat> And we have this promise that he is working all things for good for those whom he's called, for those who love him. And so I hope that that helps you guys. I hope that thinking through the authorial analogy, thinking of God as an author and us as his characters is helpful. I hope that it, it helps us to not jump to conclusions. There's no way, there's no way that God can exist. Well, you'd have to be God to know that. You'd have to be the author to see the full plot and know that this does not fit in the plot. This evil, there's no way. Think about what you're saying when you say that. You're putting yourself in the position of God. Don't do that. Just recognize that you're a character in his story. Cry out to him and call out evil and stand up against evil. Evil is the worst. It does go directly against the character of God. And yet God allows it for morally sufficient reasons, ultimately to glorify himself, but also to help us look like Christ, to develop our characters. God has given us a stable environment inside this story where I can bash my thumb with a hammer. Yeah, so the stable environment defense works here. There's a greater good defense that God has a, a greater good. He has a morally sufficient reason for allowing the evil that exists. So the greater good defense works. God allows us to make choices, uh, evil choices. Yeah, so a, a, a type of free will defense works. All of the typical defenses for the problem of evil come together in this authorial analogy that God is working all things so that we will look like Christ and that we will honor him and that we will glorify him and see him for who he truly is. Merciful gracious, holy, just, good, omnipotent, all-knowing God. This is a really tough subject, and it's uh, we, we could talk for the next five hours, and 
just be scratching the surface. So I don't want to say that this is it. This is the solution to the problem of evil. But I hope that these, this has helped you think through a biblical understanding that God intends good, even as he super intends and allows his characters to act in evil ways. I hope this has helped us trust God more, knowing that he is powerful enough to use the worst evil in the world to bring about the greatest good, and to trust him knowing that, look, if you're, a, if you're his child, if you've trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, he's working everything that happens to you for your good. That's insane. That's amazing. What, what can happen to you? That's going to be bad. Everything's going to be worked for good. And I hope that you don't use this to excuse evil and say, look, well, let's just make more evil so that God can be shown to be even greater. No, you don't get it at all. That's not it. That is not it. No, we don't act in evil ways and go further and further away from God. We want to go closer and closer to being like Christ. We want to be good. We want to do well, and we want to love God and love others. So I hope that this has been a helpful introduction into the problem of evil for those who haven't uh, been initiated. Though, if you live on earth, you've been initiated into the problem of evil. It's everywhere. I hope that, that you had some conceptual tools for thinking through how it is that God can allow evil in his story. I'm Parker Setacase, and uh, if you guys like this video, then consider checking out my channel, Parker's Pensies, and stay tuned for some more of the 12 Days of Christmas where we're answering the toughest objections against Christianity. Thanks. Okay, that about wraps it up for this episode. The Think Podcast is a production of the Think Institute and is produced by yours truly, Joel Sedeckes. The Think Institute operates under Church Movements, a ministry of Crew under the division of Crew City. To learn about how to support the Think Institute and my family tax-free, go to thethink.institute/partner. I hope you heard something helpful today. I know I did. Remember, this is not goodbye. This has just been a short stop on the journey as we learn to lead our families in defending the Christian message. And we'll see you next time. Until then, I hope it made you think.